This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. Well, Today we continue in part three of this series, Getting to Know You. And we're looking at the first two chapters of the Song of Songs, and we're looking at 12 markers of romantic relationship formation. And if you have your Bibles, I want to turn to the Song of Songs chapter 2. We are going to get there in just a moment. Uh, We've been looking at this desire building in intensity and moving towards something. Last week, we talked about defining the relationship and how important that is and not just sliding into a relationship. We mentioned it last week, but we'll share it again here as we look at exclusivity. We're going with physical touch and anticipation. And, and here's what we talked and said about desire. Desire says, I want you. I'm attracted to you, and I want to be with you. But we're moving in this great book of the Old Testament toward exclusivity, and you see it built throughout all eight chapters, says, I want only you. I want to spend my life with you, and until the Lord returns or calls one of us home, we will be a couple. Uh, Amy and I started dating at Liberty University during my senior year and her junior year, and I was the assistant director of academic computing. And I had about 40 tutors that were hired for the sole purpose of helping the students at Liberty pass Business 102. It was the most dreaded class at Liberty University because of this thing called Lotus 123. They hated spreadsheets, they were newer, and, and they had to put in the test, they had to put together an amortization table. And I loved it. It came easy for me. But they hired all these tutors because people couldn't pass the class. And in Amy's junior year, she took the class while I was kind of overseeing the program. And she goes, this will be awesome. I'm going to pass because you're going to do my homework. Uh, so all I, all I remember was the dreaded class. And I had a mentor at Liberty who taught that class. And so every student had Dr. Maurice Zafke. He was a Harvard graduate. And he was pretty smart. And uh, he called me into his office one day and he said, have a seat, Ted. I'm like, oh, it's getting serious. And I sit down and he goes, I understand you're interested in Amy Freetag. And I said, yeah, we're dating and planning on getting married. And this was his expression. Hmm. I'm like, man, what do you know that I don't know? Like, tell me now. And this is all he said. You know she doesn't like my class. I said, Dr. Zafke, the entire student body hates your class. You just eliminated every potential candidate on campus because they all hate it. And it's something that's interesting to me because sometimes parents have a very difficult time with their kids knowing the difference between competency and character. And I didn't uh, marry Amy. I wasn't initially attracted to Amy on her spreadsheet skills. And what's interesting at this church is she does more with spreadsheets than I will ever do again in my life. And, and so we're talking about how do you know this is the one, but now we're going to go exclusive. In verse 1, you're going to see in this chapter some callbacks to chapter 1 and the insecurities that the Shulamite woman had with her body and with her family and why would you even want me? And so she's going to use in verse 1 two common flowers that are found on the plain of Sharon. When you think about the plain of Sharon, I want you to think of this vast pasture land full of flowers. And she's going to say what we looked at last week in that great Brad Paisley song, The World. She's going to say, I am just one of millions. 
I'm just an ordinary country girl. Why would you want me? And she says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. When you look out at all that's out there, I'm just one. And so Solomon takes this word picture that she initiates and he comes right back at her with this beautiful word picture, verse two. Like a lily, here we go, among thorns. I hope you husbands in here are taking notes right now going, I need some good word pictures to, because what he's saying is, Those rich city girls, they're thorns. You, my girl, are are mine. And you stick out, my darling, among the young women. And he says, and I choose you. And that's what our passion is for young people in this church, to think about romantic relationships, to think about marriage in a way that doesn't scare you, but in a way that, that you move out of this Uh, never defining it, never putting any words to it, and just kind of working your way through the relationship as maybe you do through life. This is one of my favorite, I shared a playground toy with you last week. This is one of my favorite rides on a playground. If you remember the old, rusty, hot slides, you'd come down this thing and be like, whoa, and burn your legs and get back up and climb right back up and do it again. And this is the word picture for us of how many people move into romantic relationships. They slide their way into it rather than decide. That's actually the blog of Dr. Scott Stanley at the University of Denver. He says, the power in relationship is decision. I choose you. I want you to be my boyfriend. I want you to be my girlfriend. Let's get engaged. Let's set a date, right? All these traditional relationship formation milestones. He said, but that's not happening today because today we're sliding into relationships. And some of you in the relationship you're in right now, you slid into it and you don't know how you got here. And commitment or exclusivity in marriage is not something that interests you. And I know this bugs senior adults in here. As you've asked young people or the next generation to do something two weeks from now, they won't commit for fear of something better coming along. It's the exact same thing with relationships. How do I know you're the one? How do I know I should commit to you until the Lord returns or calls one of us home? And and you're sliding right now. I, I work with couples all the time who find themselves sharing an apartment and a dog and bills And they don't know how they got there. Because some of you slid into it real fast. Like this kid right here. That was worth another view, wasn't it, right there? That was fast. Let's watch it one more time. I guarantee you that kid got up and went and did it again. And some of you have slid that quickly into relationship after relationship after relationship. And you wonder, why, why do I keep getting my heart broken? And I know for many in here, this is your first exposure to the scripture or to what God says about romantic relationships. I had a gentleman tell me last week, an older gentleman in our church, he said, when we went to premarital counseling over 50 years ago, they worked through a lot. And when we got to the sex part, they said, you'll figure that out. They wouldn't talk to us about it. And so we know for a lot of you, this is brand new, but you've been sliding quickly into relationships and you've just blown past all of these traditional relationship formation milestones. And now you're like, well, maybe a better way is to take it slower, but you're still sliding. You're sliding like this kid right here. (laughs) He ran through the kitchen. I don't know why he does this. 
Whether it's fast or slow, it's all sliding. And so Dr. Scott Stanley has the best definition of exclusivity and commitment. I've used it for 15 years now. It's, it, I've not found one better, and it's simply this. Exclusivity makes the choice to give up all other choices, to give up all other flowers, to give up all other maidens. It's like, I, I am exclusive with you. So some of you might be thinking, why? Why? Why be exclusive? Ted, we like keeping it loose because you never know. You never know. Years from now, I may find someone I have better chemistry with. Well, let me give you four things that Dr. Stanley says about exclusivity. Number one, when you're exclusive in a relationship, it's a desire for a future together. You begin picturing a special future. We're going to get to that in a moment with anticipation. Like, we're going we're gonna to do this together. We're going to build something together. Number two, we're going to have a future, but we're going to build it at being part of a team. It's, it's me and you against the world. Amy and I, when we got married, we were what you would call broke. <laughs> but I guess I never worried about it because I'm like, we're together. And if we're in a tent, we're together. Like if we're in a cheap, nasty apartment and we had the nasty apartment and I'm grateful we had the nasty apartment, the small, it said when we, we rented it, cute and cozy. That's what it said, which is terms for old and small. Hasn't been rug doctored in a long time. But we didn't care. We were 22, 21, and we were together. I remember buying our first house in Little Elm, Texas, and we went to a choice neighborhood. They were building these 200-home subdivisions in North Texas, like, in four months. I mean, it was amazing. Just pasture land, and then, boom, all these houses. And we went in. I went in with my checkbook. A checkbook is it's where I would write the amount. Anyway, the, I... I walked in, and Amy picked out the floor plan she wanted, and the, the, the cost of the home was $86,000. I was like, man, we can't afford this. $86,000, that's ridiculous. She, and then she wanted upgrades. <laughs> and she got $9,800 worth of upgrades, and I wrote a $500 deposit check going, we're bad stewards, we're bad stewards. Yesterday, I was driving through Nashville. True story. They had the signs up pointing the neighborhoods under construction. No lie. It said in Nashville on the sign, home starting at $1.7 million. I'm like, that's a, I would call that a completed home, not a starting home. But some of you go back. I want the seniors in here to go back. I want you to think about when it all started for you. You were together in this. Number three, why exclusivity? Dr. Stanley says it gives high priority to the relationship. You know what that means? This is why a lot of people won't go exclusive. You got to give up your single life. You may have to give up single friends. You may have to give up single activities. But there's high priority on the relationship. And trust me, you've seen this joke online. I don't know how many times. The punishments we had as children are now our blessings as adults. You got to stay home tonight. Yes. You're going to bed early. Woohoo! And some of you are in that transition right now, but it just says, listen, when, when it's you and me, and we didn't have this term when I was, you know, first dating Amy, but it's ride or die. Like we're in this together. It means number four, if you want all of this, you have to sacrifice. Right? Things are going to change. But man, you desire that. How many men in here? There's no greater joy in your life than to work hard all week, bring home a paycheck, sign it. You can tell this is old school. But sign it and give it to your wife to spend all of it. That is great joy. Raise your hand if you love that. Men, get your hands up. That's what I'm telling you right now. 
Yeah, you realize there is a joy that you might, you might not be experiencing right now, but trust me, when you take on the responsibility, guys, of a wife and children, there's joy in that. When you go to the mall, you look at your shoes that you bought two years ago, these are good, I'm good. We can't afford to buy them shoes and me shoes. Look at all the seniors going, you get after them, Ted. <laughs> they already know this. And there's a, I'm so proud of the young people in our church, and I love going to young adults and students on Wednesday night and just, just, seeing, just seeing them get it. Like, they get it, and they understand how important responsibility is. So exclusivity moves now to... You're going to see this is intense now as we move from exclusivity to physical touch. Verse 3 of the Song of Songs, chapter 2. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest. Here it is, kind of like Lilia in the plain of Sharon now. Among the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade. What does an apple tree provide? It provides uh, shade and shelter. Now this goes back to chapter one when she was insecure about her body. Dark I am yet lovely. My brothers were angry with me. They made me work in the field. So what is, what is she saying there? She's saying, uh, I now have someone, I'm under his shade. And I have protection and I have shelter and I love this and his fruit is sweet to my taste I get a little snack for you Baptists this is a three-point alliterated outline in one verse shelter shade and snack I'm sitting under his shade and I can reach up and grab a little snack verse four is really going to frustrate the Baptist let him lead me to the banquet hall and banquet hall literally means house of wine And in the Bible, wine is a symbol for joy. And drinking wine is for joyous occasions and for celebration and for weddings. And she's saying, we are exclusive. We talked about this a little bit last week. It's a signal to family and friends that we are a couple. And now he's going public with the relationship. He is going to raise a flag over me or a banner and let his banner over me be love. Let me just say this to our seniors in here that it's been some time. But early on in the relationship, this was natural. Now you need to be intentional with continuing to raise the flag over your spouse. Speaking words of high value over your spouse. How do you raise a banner of love over your spouse after you've been married 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? We encourage at this church something called an honor list. That you would write down all the reasons why your spouse is highly valuable Gift it to your spouse, but more than that, read it out loud in front of family and friends. Speak words of high value. Raise the banner of love. She goes, I am protected when I'm with him. I am shaded under him. I am refreshed when I am under him. His banner over me is love. Verse 5. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples. And I think every single person in here no matter how long you've been married, remembers the time you were faint with love. Literally, physically felt the effects of love. How many remember that? Let me just see your hands. How many, it's been a while. (laughs) But you remember, you were, we call it weak in the knees. Like, I I would get around Amy when we were first dating, and I, I would stumble over my words. I was shaky, right? That's called being faint with love. And she goes, I need to be refreshed. And in ancient song, raisins, apples, like aphrodisiacs. Like, man, I'm, I, the desire is building, and I want to be with Solomon. Remember, if you're new to this book, chapters 1 and 2, they're dating, they're courting. They don't get married until chapter 3. And verse 6, we move into physical 
touch, intimate touch. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. I'm going to demonstrate this just so you can feel a little uncomfortable. Let's go through it. His left arm is under my head. His right arm <laughs> embraces me. So there's people in here going, stop, just stop. Don't do it. No, because there's some senior adults in here right now. You haven't touched your wife like this in a long time. And, and, we're, and you know, research says your wife needs 12 non-sexual touches a day, and it's not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So I'm challenging every, every married man in here this week, sometime when she's least expecting it, to walk up to your wife and take your left hand and shoot it there behind her neck. Bring her down to here. And their seniors a little more feeble going, we're going to end up about right here. And that's okay. That's Okay. Put your arm around her and, and look her in the eyes. We're going to talk about this. I got to tell you, I got this text after the 815. <laughs> I don't know if people want me to share their text, but here we go. <laughs> a granddaughter after the 815 was in the car on the way home with her grandparents. And this is the conversation in the car. Mom was telling dad, grandpa, or grandma was telling grandpa that he didn't need to try this because he would fall and then she would fall. And so I told them they could do it if they had at least two spotters. <laughs> they both said, we better avoid it altogether. <laughs> and then this is the granddaughter says, the local headline, local hospitals see a rise in admissions after pastor advises older couples to spice up their marriage. <laughs> This is natural for dating and engaged couples. You need to be intentional with it. So I want to take you, focus on the family years ago. I'm probably talking three, over three decades ago, put out what they called 12 steps or you call stages of physical intimate touch. And I think this is helpful for us to go through because it'll, it'll show you the steps that you should take. And again, in this series, we're not encouraging any couple to rush marriage. We're not encouraging anyone to rush a relationship. And you'll see through these, they're kind of slow. They take some time. It starts with eye to body. You notice someone. She may notice him. He may notice her. But they haven't looked back. And that may, that may be a while. I can tell you at Liberty University, I noticed Amy six months before she ever knew me. And then eye to eye. It's reciprocated and she looked at me quickly. Didn't spend a lot of time there. <laughs> I didn't give up, right? The number three, voice to voice. This is when you begin having a conversation. Can I just encourage the young people in our church who are considering dating or dating? Go on a first date with zero expectation of anything other than conversation. Maybe say that up front. We're just going to have a conversation. It's just coffee, right? It's just lunch. We're going to talk. I'm going to tell you, number three, this is a long step or a long stage. You should have, a, if you're going to be examining character, that can take a while. Don't rush, number three. Voice to voice. Then it's hand to hand. 
right? It, it may be a handshake. There could be hand-holding, but that's not really this stage. But you, you get closer, and there is that first physical touch. Number five, hand to shoulder. This is kind of the good buddy. I'm going to give this to, I don't know how many people today. Hey, what's going on? Get in there. That's a non-sexual touch, but it's moving. It's progressing to hand to waist. You're not going to see me go up to any of my buddies in this church and be like, come here, bud, what's up? (laughs) If I did, I wouldn't be your pastor. (laughs) Right? Because this is more intimate than this. And you see how it's progressed. I I want you to, I'm only going to share eight of the 12 with you this morning. Nine through 12 are sexual and private. 12 being intercourse. I hope you understand why the the relationship derails immediately if you jump from number one to number 12 in a week. Or on a first or second date. It's not how you are wired. It's not how God has planned relationships for you and for me. So hand to waist and then face to face. You won't see me out in the lobby today looking at anybody going, hey, come here. (laughs) It's too much, right? You will see that level of intimacy between a parent comforting a child. And you'll see that in romantic relationships. And then, then hand to head. Face to face, this is now we're hugging, we can be kissing, but it's hand to head. And now it's intimate. We're going to leave out 9 through 12. Some of you are like, I'm Googling it. You can't tell me to look. I'm going to focus on the family. And so you're like, that's where we are in our relationship, Ted. We have moved on. And we're at step 6, 7, or 8. But we're not yet married. That's chapter 3. And if that's the level of intensity, and by the way, we are not looking here at this church for the passion, desire to stay at that level and never be defined into exclusivity because that's what we call infatuation. Infatuation is short-lived passion that not, doesn't build toward anything. So if you're like, we're there, and Ted, the desire is so intense, and please hear from this church, there is absolutely nothing wrong with desire. God wired you in that desire. But this is why we said last week, after defining the relationship, examine the character, define the relationship, and then what? Establish boundaries. And that's verse 7. Verse 7. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, and I love that this is the opening weekend of hunting season, by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. What is verse 7 saying? And what, what... Sexual ethic follows throughout all of Scripture. It's this simple right here. Don't sexualize a relationship before marriage. Don't go to steps 9 through 12 before marriage. Don't sexualize it. And I know when we talk about there there are couples in here that are living together now. There are couples not living together, having sex. And, And I want you to know this is not a church Our desire at this church is never to put you on a guilt trip. Our our desire here is that you would know Jesus, would know what he did for you, that you would seek forgiveness for your sins. And some of you have sinned and the guilt and the shame in this area walks with you. Listen, that is not God's plan for your life. Do not feed your regrets, but ask Jesus to redeem your remaining days. He died for your sins, even this sin, the sin of sexualizing a relationship before marriage. And we are clear in this church to call it that. It is sin. 
sexual relationships outside of marriage. And to just, I just want to share the gospel for those who are letting the guilt and the shame set in. Be reminded today, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. And all God's people said, he died for you so that we could be made right with God through Christ. In 1 John 1, 1.9, this is all we're asking that you do today. Confess your sins. Like Ted, we're going to establish boundaries. We're going to change today. Before you establish boundaries, confess. Repent. And then out of that, establish boundaries until the day of your wedding. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And to be reminded, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I think one of the greatest challenges we see in this area are couples who are not on the same page with this. There are some of you right now falling under conviction for the way in which you're living, but you're with somebody right now who's not. You repent. This is not something you need to do as a couple. This is something you need to do individually first and foremost, and then you establish the boundary. But there's no condemnation. This isn't about a guilt trip or shame. Last verse, there's no condemnation, and you're also a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We want God's best for you, and that includes his plan for your life in relationships, in marriage, and in sex. So let's end with anticipation. Oh, I love this, because I, I, I do. I want young people to know this church pictures a special future for you and for your marriage. Some of you are single, and you've been single for a long time, and and that's God's plan for your life right now. And he's using you in that area. And that's great. You know, this is a, a message for romantic relationship formation. And so if we go to verse 8 as we learn that anticipation pictures a special future for your marriage. And this is a church that wants to be a backup singer to your young budding love and your fu future duet in marriage. Verse 8. The Shulamite woman says, listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. So get this imagery and this energy in your head. Verse 9, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Here it does. All the hunters are like, "Woo! Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. If you're brand new to Hebrew poetry, you're like, this guy's a peeping Tom. This is kind of creepy. <laughs> That's not at all what this is. This is, he's wanting to see if she's home. Now, I don't know if you remember these days. I, Amy and I were dating. We lived in, in dorms. And I just remember standing there with I don't know how many guys waiting on, you know, date night for our, our girlfriends to come down. But we just couldn't wait. We'd hear someone come down the stairs. Ah, that's yours. Okay, all right. Ah, oh, so you get, you had that. Guys, I just want to encourage you. Get back to anticipation. Like long to get home. You can't wait to see her. Like, put, I mean, splash on the old spice, Right? <laughs> Get cleaned up and be, man, get some energy back into your relationship. My beloved spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. Verse 11, you're seeing this young budding love moving from winter, early in the relationship, now to this, it's, it's ready to go, right? We're ready for marriage, right? Spring and summer is what's pictured, the relationship moving through the season. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves, and the turtle dove was a migratory resident in Palestine. And you would hear the cooing in spring, knowing they were staying through the summer, is heard in our land in verse 13. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. 
It's you and me. We believe in marriage here. We don't want you to rush it, but we, we want you to pursue it. We want you to see it as a value. So even if you're not married, understand marriage might not be for you right now, but the scripture in Hebrews 13, 4 says marriage should be honored by all. That means even if you're not married, you should be for marriage. You should see it as a building block of society. You should see it as God's plan for the family, for the church, and for culture. And I'm sad today when I, when I look at this research out of the University of Virginia. Virginia Brad Wilcox does a great job uh, with the National Marriage Project. has been doing that for years. He surveyed adults ages 18 to 40. 75% said making a good living was crucial to fulfillment in life, while only 32% said marriage was crucial to fulfillment in life. And where do they get this from? Well, they get it from their parents. And, and by the way, this is, I get, in a lot of, I get a lot of heat on this. I have people that come at me because of my enthusiasm for marriage, the ministry that God's given me in marriage, and they say, you have turned marriage into an idol. And they're the ones pushing education and career. And I go, how have I turned marriage into an idol and you didn't turn education and career into an idol? An idol is anything you put before God. We, don't, we honor, esteem marriage as highly valuable, but we don't put it before God. We know this is his plan for the church and for culture. And parents are like, what's one thing I can do to help my kids early on in the home? Honor marriage. Show them what a good marriage looks like. Practice it every day. Grandma and grandpa, I need your grandkids to see, I need them to see that. So they see it's a good thing. But look at the parents, the stats are even more staggering. Pew Research Center survey, 88% of parents said it was extremely or very important for their kids to be financially independent. 21% of parents said it was extremely, very important for their kids to marry. I, I think they believe that when their kids are in their 20s. But I don't talk to a lot of parents with children in their 40s calling the office saying, my son or daughter has had a crisis in their career. Can you talk to them? I get they had a crisis in their marriage. I wish we would have been a home that honored marriage more and would have been concerned about marriage more than what school they were getting into, what degree they were getting. And listen, I'm for education. I'm for career. I just don't put it before marriage. I don't put that milestone before marriage. The author of an article in the New York Times who actually put all this research out, David Brooks, he wrote, to be happy, we know from research, marriage matters more than career. And here's what he said. This is, if he were to sit down with a 20-something, he says, this is what I would share with them. Look, there are many reasons you may not find marital happiness in your life. Maybe you won't be able to find a financially stable partner or one who wants to commit. Maybe you'll marry a great person but find yourselves drifting. Sliding takes place before marriage, and it can take place in marriage as well. But don't let it be because you didn't prioritize marriage. Don't let it be because you didn't think hard about marriage when you were young. My strong advice is to obsess less about your career and to think a lot more about marriage. Brad Wilcox, I've been using his research for over 15 years now. Here's what he said, and we'll close with this. When it comes to predicting overall happiness, a good marriage is far more important than how much education you get, how much money you make, how often you have sex, and yes, even how satisfied you are with your work. We anticipate marriage. And for a young person, I'm just shocked at the number of young people that tell me, I can't wait to be married, but the parents are saying, whoa, 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 whoa. May this always be a church. We don't rush marriage, but we avoid the unnecessary delay of it. And we 
followers of Jesus begin painting a beautiful picture of marriage for our children, mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa, it starts with you enjoying your marriage. Like, give them a marriage worth repeating. Give them a marriage worth imitating. Let them see it. When you're just sitting there and your communication is slurping soup together all day, you got to find new ways to be intentional with what was natural early on. So they have something to look forward to. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the one who's dealing with guilt and shame right now to know that anyone among the living has hope and that they would confess their sin to you right now and that they would have the conversation that needs to take place between a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or a fiance establishing boundaries, clear boundaries in the relationship so that as they pursue exclusivity and they work through these stages or steps of physical intimate touch, they can anticipate the joy of marriage, that they can establish boundaries early on so they can enjoy steps 9 through 12 later on. Let this be where we are clear as a church. For the one who's never placed faith in Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart he's been raised from the dead, that they will be saved. We pray this in the authority of the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said...